It's Fire Away Friday. Fire Away Friday. On Exploring the Word, this is your chance to ask us your Bible question at 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. You can also email your question at word at AFR.net or visit Facebook.com slash Exploring the Word. Exploring the Word. It's Fire Away Friday on American Family Radio. I think most everybody loves Fridays, and we enjoy Friday here at Exploring the Word because this is the day we open up the telephone, and we love to hear from you. And here's the number for calls and Bible questions, and just we'll visit together and fellowship, but it's 888-589-8840, Bert, it's uh, good to be with you. And um, if we could, I'd love to open up today with uh, an email question that came in regarding our our opening up of our study of the book of Acts. Okay, that sounds good. Now, that number, and we've got lines ready to go for your Bible question, 888-589-8840. But first, let's answer a question that came in. Usually come in, but word at AFR.net or Facebook or other means. So, Alex, uh, what is the question? Well, you know, we opened up with the, the book of Acts, and in Acts 1, verse 3, it says that after his uh, passion and resurrection, Jesus showed himself alive with many infallible proofs. So somebody emailed in, and in that spirit, asked about books on archaeology. Are there any good books that are an introduction to how archaeology has verified or proven the Bible. So I wanted to mention a couple, and like we very often do, one is a little more popular level and accessible, and one is a little, maybe a little more academic, but um, all of these I hardly recommend, and uh, archaeology is a wonderful study to get into. Now listen to this, folks. Ralph Muncaster, and that's spelled M-U-N-C-A-S-T-E-R. Ralph Muncaster wrote two little paperback books. They're wonderful. One, Can Archaeology Prove the Old Testament? Super good book. I highly recommend it. The other is, Can Archaeology Prove the New Testament? Two really good books. But then, if you want to get serious into biblical archaeology... Um, a a one-volume set by Zondervan, the Zondervan Handbook of Biblical Archaeology. Now, it was written by Randall Price and Wayne House, H. Wayne House. I know both of these gentlemen. They're wonderful, wonderful scholars. The Zondervan Handbook of Biblical Archaeology. And I think those would be some great, helpful things. And when Acts 1-3 and other, like 2 Peter uh, one sixteen says, we've not followed cleverly devised fables, but this is really historically true. Bert, archaeology, as has been said, with every turn of the archaeologist's spade, another page of Scripture has been verified. Um, and I just wanted to give those resources because uh, I think they're they're pretty helpful. They really are. And again, we had another question. I was going to ask you this. Someone was talking about they understood the Old Testament, they understood the Gospels, but they were concerned about from Acts, from Revelation, how that is the revelation from God. Alex, it took a lot of, of concerned people to come to that, uh, but this caller was in concerned about that. Uh, mm. is, is Acts all the way through Revelation reliable as the Word of God? 
Oh, absolutely. A- absolutely. And the process of what we call canonicity, the canon means measuring stick. And when we speak of the canon of Scripture, we're talking about the Bible. Uh, it, it really is a fascinating study. There was, uh, while we're recommending books, and by the way, uh, I kind of have this personal rule, I never recommend a book that I myself haven't read at least once. That's my little standard. So if I recommend a book, uh, I own it, I've read it. Um, two, I want to mention, Neil Lightfoot, L-I-G-H-T-F-O-O-T, How We Got the Bible. Just a good little book. Then another one, by the late Norm Geisler, From God to Man, How We Got the Bible. Here's the thing. When the early church was, uh, they didn't choose the canon, they recognized the canon that the Holy Spirit had given. But the question was, um, was the book written by an apostle? In other words, somebody who saw the risen Jesus, was with the risen Jesus. Did the content harmonize with the rest of Scripture? Christologically, did it affirm Jesus? Um, Then, did the content seem to change lives? Did it have the power of God on it? And then, was it affirmed and recognized by the, the church at large? And when we look at Acts through Revelation, Acts, the book of Romans, the 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 Pauline letters, in other words, the, the letters of Paul, the book of Hebrews, the Petrine letters, first and second Peter, right? First, second, and third John, Jude, Bert, all of these. Now, now it took really 25 years plus beyond the completion of Revelation that the church, and part of this, it wasn't that People were trying to suppress any of the books or whatever. But a lot of it was, look, there was no electricity. There weren't printing presses. There was Jewish, Greek, and Roman persecution. So, Bert, I think the fact that it took some decades to really have the the New Testament canon universally acknowledged, that's just some of the dynamics of 2,000 years ago. But you've got the four Gospels, the Book of Acts— Romans through Revelation, these met all of the tests of canonicity, all written by apostles, all harmonious content affirming Christ and the the gospel message, definitely showed the power of God, turned the world upside down, and has been changing lives for 1,900 years ever since. Amen. And, And then accepted by the church, here's the bottom line, This is God's book that he gave, and you can depend on it. Amen. Thank you, Alex. Well, let's go go to the phone lines. And first, we're going to John, who is in Illinois. John, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hi, Bert and Alex. Good to have you today, man. Welcome to your show. Yes, thank you. Uh, After the, the war in heaven, when God decided he had to send Satan out, why send him to earth knowing all the pain and suffering he's going to cause instead of, say, some planet a million light years away from here? <laughs> hey, well, John, I've wondered that myself. I don't know the mind of God. I don't know the heart of God uh, completely. I know some of it, but his desire was for man to know him 
And honestly, for man to know him and to love him, there has to be, Alex, I don't know, uh, would a counterpoint be something? And and, uh, that's kind of too weak to say. But uh, again, God already had redemption in mind, did he not? He really did. You know, in Luke eleven twenty four, it says that when an unclean spirit is cast out, he's cast out to dry places. And it, it really is the word waterless places. It, interestingly, it's the word androgynous. Um, by the way, folks, androgyny is like um, ambiguity about gender. Um, you don't hear this word too much anymore, but back in the 1980s when they first were, you know, there were like Boy George that was a singing star, and Boy George was um, kind of like um, transgender, right? It's the word androgynous. It's interesting that the, um, the, the spirits were cast out into waterless places. Um, Luke eleven twenty four 24 says dry places. You know, in a way, it's like the demons. You read Revelation 12, there was war in heaven, and the dragon swept a third of the stars out of heaven. Lucifer uh, and a third of the angels fell, and they were cast out into, really, into outer space, if you will, because they Satan is the prince of the power of the air. It's not so much that God sent Satan to tempt us. But we do have free will, and for us to have a legitimate relationship with God, there had to be the element of choice. Uh, While God offers himself, he doesn't force himself. Um, And so, Bert, I, I really think that when God made Adam off the dust of the ground and Eve from Adam's rib... Um, maybe the demons and Satan were in the shadows watching, and, and the reasoning might have been like this. They could not kill off God, so they've tried to harm yeah. and debase the ones made in God's image. I, I agree with that fully. Again, uh, some of those things are they're, they're hard to con- understand and complete, but I know God, you, we can trust him, and he did that according to his plan of redemption and we can trust him. So thank you, John. Hey, we've got places to call or uh, to number, uh, your phone number. We've got a lineup in our queue ready to go, and that number is 888-589-8840, and we're going to Catherine in North Carolina. Welcome, Catherine. Hello. I, I wanted to ask a question. My, my mother, who's 88 years old, does Bible word searches, and she uh, came upon the name Judith and the name Tobit, T-O-B-I-T. Who were those people uh, in regards to the Bible? Okay, Judas. Uh, I don't know if she's talking about Judas's carrot, but there was another one of the apostles named Judas Alex. Uh, do you? Mm-hmm. Is there another one? Is there a third uh, Judas itself? I know there's Judah and Jude, but is there another Judas? Besides um, those two? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a verse in the Bible in John 14, 22, where it says Jude, uh, Judas, and I love how it says, not Iscariot. Boy, that would be, and by the way, I have John 14 open because I was going to mention another verse, but it says, Judas saith unto him, 
not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself unto us and not unto the world? Hey, by the way, it's like Benedict. That's a name after Benedict Arnold. You don't, I, I doubt any or very, very, very few kids get named Benedict anymore. And isn't it something, you know, that they would be very clear to put in there, Judas, not Iscariot, <laughs> in, you know, John 14, 22. So this was a son of James, sometimes called Jude Thaddeus. Um, so there was, you know, more than one Judas in the Bible. Um, Tobit, that's a third century Jewish work about um, testing the faithful, you know, praying to God. But um, Tobit, this is not a canonical book, the book of Tobit. It's a Jewish writing that came about 300 years after the life of Christ. Okay, thank you, Catherine. Give us a phone call, 888 589 Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. We're taking phone calls on Fire Away Friday, and we're going to go to as many as we can today. So we go to Mississippi. Charla? Is it Charla? Charla or Charla? Are you there? No. Well, I tell you what, I got to get with it today. I'm here. Charla. Yeah, I'm here. I, I hear you now. Thank you. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Um, yeah, it's Charla. Um, I thank you so much for taking my call. I really want a an answer for this. Um, I've I've heard uh, people speak about being legalistic. My question is, where is the line between demarcation? Uh, I mean, well, of, of demarcation between being legalistic and being obedient to the word you know nobody wants to be a pharisee but where you know where do you draw the line for that because my authority is the word amen well charla thank you let me alex i'll I'll say a word or two and i know we've discussed this we've used it quite a bit saying we don't want to be legalistic but uh listen there are some things when the word of god says it Thou shalt not, or when God says marriage is, when he says God made male and female, that's the Bible. Uh, There are areas when you're talking about like music, uh, and I use that as an instance because it's not as much now, but a few years ago they called it the worship wars, and they let all this become uh, part of legalistic and different things. Uh, it says, you know, making song in your heart with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so there was a debate on what each one of those meant. So, Alex, uh, there are some liberties, but the liberty is not a license, is it? No, it, it isn't. And uh, it's a great question because i, I got to tell you, and, and listen, I believe in standards and, and righteousness, obviously, but... Um, I honestly think legalism has driven more people out of church than all of the philosophers or evolutionists combined, really. Um, in Colossians two sixteen, it says, Let 
No man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect to holy days or new moons or Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Uh, Now, on the one hand, we are free in Christ. We honestly are. I mean, salvation is about putting your faith in Jesus and being born again. And and Bert, um, I've been outside of America where the idea of being a teetotaler and abstaining from all alcohol, they would never know that. And my goodness, I was in South Africa preaching at a, a series of conferences and uh, a couple of colleges, and I mean, it was shocking how much alcohol they drank. And I'm talking, these were pastors, South African pastors. Now, in America, especially like in the Bible Belt, you you would never see alcohol at a Christian thing. But um, in their culture and in part of Europe, you know, that was just what they did. Um, legalism is basically putting preferences on the same standard as the gospel. Now, I've got plenty of personal preferences and very often closely held preferences, but salvation is believing in Jesus, who is the Son of God, died and rose again. Now, uh, it's fine for everybody to have their preferences, but um, I can't judge or break fellowship with a, a believer, brother or sister, who has different preferences. So, Bert, uh, don't you think we have to keep convictions and preferences separate? You've got to, and sometimes it is hard to know. I, I admit that. Uh, alcohol is one of those things that I I had to learn to say it was a preference because I, I just, as pastor, personally, watching others, in family, I've watched others, the destruction that it has done, uh, you know. But let me just say this. What I limit myself to is different than what I limit others to. Uh, now, what, well the, said. what the Pharisees did, to be very frank with them, they put limits on others more than they did themselves. That is legalistic. That is Pharisaic from the from the word go, if I put limits on myself because of some first convictions that I have, which leads me to to preferences, uh, that's me, and I have those. Uh, but it it would be wrong for me to put it on others. And I've heard people say, well, uh, if they were a Christian, they wouldn't be doing that. Uh, I, I just want to tell you that's a hard statement to make, Uh because we see in the scriptures that some of the people that that we honor and love, they made some decisions at some points in their in their life that was difficult. But still, when God says, "Thou shalt not, uh, you know, commit adultery," uh, that thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou yeah. shalt not take the Lord God's name in vain. You're not to use empty words or those words. So those are still intact today. And, and I think we should stand on that, Alex, like male and yes. female. He made them. So those are, those are convictions I think we have, but preferences about music, the whole idea of what you just said, alcohol. Uh, I grew up saying, man, if you were a Christian, you didn't go to the movies. You didn't dance. Oh, and yeah. and yeah. Uh, so those things, uh, preferences, but 
you eat, don't, you can limit yourself, but if it's a preference, watch putting it on others. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, the moral issues that the Bible speaks on, uh, heterosexual monogamy as being God's design for marriage, uh, the moral issues, those aren't personal subjective preferences. Those are objective moral truth. But, um, you know, Augustine said this 1,600 years ago, uh, in the essentials, agreement, in the non-essentials, charity, and in all things love. Amen. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for that good question. Let's go to Tennessee and talk to Ron. Welcome, Ron. Hi, how's it going? Doing well. I had a question regarding uh, something I'd like uh, to be unbundled uh, between rules, statutes, and uh, doctrines, okay? Specifically, the uh, some call it the law of reaping and sowing. So uh, my question is, when we are forgiven and Christ died for our sins, then uh, the law of reaping and sowing, such as when you uh, you certainly will reap what you sow, is that completely disconnected, or is it? Are, do we still have to suffer? I mean, I don't understand why a lot of people think that if they're forgiven, they're not going to be punished in one way or another, and and yet I still see. Uh, the scriptures. I mean, is is reaping and sowing a law? Uh, uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Ron, fantastic. Let me read this scripture, Alex, and then we'll come back to it. This is in Galatians chapter six. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. One quick example. David was forgiven for his sin with Bathsheba and then Uriah, but the consequences continued the, all of his life. Alex, forgiveness and then not receiving the, the reaping from what you've sowed, is it two different things? Uh, well... This is such a great question. It really is because, you know, there are some things that are, you know, scriptural truths, and we might call them non-negotiables when it comes to the gospel, like the deity of Christ. That's a non-negotiable. The church is always held to the inerrancy of scripture, that the Bible is God's authoritative, infallible word, right? Um, Now, when you talk about, like, the law of sowing or reaping, the Bible doesn't use the phrase, law of sowing or reaping, but yet it does say, like you read in Galatians, that as a man sows, so also shall he reap. So Bert, and listen, follow this, folks, because I want to lay a couple things out here. There are the essentials of the gospel, the deity of Christ, the resurrection, but there are certain things that are just woven into the fabric of reality. Um, if a man would have friends, he must show himself friendly. Uh, as you sow, so also shall you reap. I mean, that's just part of the way the world works. Um, if you, uh, a little sleep, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come upon you like a thief. I think a lot of the the laws of reality we read about in the book of Proverbs, uh, wouldn't you agree, Bert? And it, it's not so much that they're 
doctrines related to the gospel, but they're just principles of how reality yep. works. Uh, wouldn't you agree? I agree, and there's also patterns, uh, I, that which means uh, you have to fight against it. It's like, uh, what? in other words, if you're in a canoe and you're going upstream and you take your oar out <clears throat> from oaring upstream, what are you going to do? You're going to drift downstream. Circle? That's what's going oh, yeah. to happen. And yeah. so the pattern... Have you noticed there's been a pattern here in in David's life? David served God with his whole heart. And that's what it says. Solomon, kind of half a heart. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, had no heart whatsoever. And you'll find that pattern drifting away. Now, that doesn't mean it's a principle. It doesn't mean that it's anything. But there's patterns. So you have those promises. You have principles. You have patterns. And so what you want to do is try to distinguish, but the, the law of, or whatever you say, the doctrine of, and I think that's doctrine would be the word, the doctrine of sowing and reaping. Because in verse 6 of Galatians 6, it says, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. That's doctrine. And so, yes, you have those. Is it hard and uh, is it completely uh, I, I want to just tell you, forgiveness is complete, but sometimes the the difficulty that raises comes up from that uh, disobedience lasts longer because it goes down to the next generation. Uh, mm. Thank you, thank you, Ron. Let's go to Mississippi and talk to Mike. Welcome, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me. Y'all's program is fantastic. Thank Bye. you, Mike. Bless you. My idea, uh, Adrian Rogers, Megan Duncan, and many other, I've heard them say, and I believe it, whenever an archaeological find is made that's biblical in nature, the Bible confirms it. It does not confirm the Bible because the Bible is the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. Wouldn't that be correct? Yes, it is. Now, that's true for us, and we believe it. It's true any time. I admit that. But yet for those that doubt the Word of God, and then you find the archaeological evidence that demonstrates that, that is a tool by which you can affirm to that person who doubts the Word of God that it is true. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, you know, it's funny. St. Augustine, uh, who lived 354 to 430, talked about... Those who ask for an ocular demonstration, meaning something you could see, and and I, you know, I'm with you. The Bible is the Word of God. You know, in fact, we ought to just leave it right there, because um, we presuppose that the Bible is God's Word, and it, it is. And I think by literally dozens of lines of compelling evidence, we can support that belief. But for those in the world that are that they don't presuppose the Bible is the Word of God, they're, as Augustine said, asking for an ocular demonstration. It's it's fine to say, well, you know what? Look, all of the Old Testament is reaffirmed by things that have w- been discovered. You know, so in in pointing to historical evidences discoveries, the manuscript, the preservation of the the Bible. It's not that we're trusting an external proof rather than God's Word, but I do think it is 
for for a world that needs to be persuaded, it's like Acts one three. We point to these many infallible proofs, and if it makes them open to the idea that well, maybe I should trust the Bible and therein find Jesus, I think it's a good thing. Hey, let me give this number, 888-589-8840. If you've got a Bible question, Bert and I will do our best to give you a good factual answer, 888-589-8840. We'd love to hear hear from you on this edition of Exploring the Word. Richard from Mississippi, thank you for calling. Go right ahead. Uh, Yes, sir. I really, I had a question about evangelism. Uh, I've had it on my heart to really just tell everybody, tell anyone, the people who know and don't know. And I really just, I'd like kind of an explanation on how to just approach and talk about Christ with just a stranger I just met on the street five minutes ago. Alex, go right ahead. This is area you specialize in, two areas that Alex, there's several, but his is apologetics and evangelism. Alex, uh, you do that quite often on airpl- in airplanes and airports, don't you? Yeah, we do. You know, I will tell you, it's not always easy to talk, like you say, with a total stranger that we've just met. Because, you know, very often, part, one of the struggles in talking to a total stranger is that they don't know you, and they don't know if they should trust you or not. But I will say, periodically, conversations come along. So, Bert, we got a break. Could we hold on and to do this justice? Let's let's pick it up again after this uh, brief. And we can do that, Richard. You hang on, listen. I know you're off the phone, but you can listen. So we were going to come back in just a minute or two with more of exploring the Word as we answer those Bible questions. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. It's Fire Away Friday, and we await your call and question. The number is 888-589-8840. Hey, this Sunday, Crossroad Baptist Church, actually the next two Sundays, this Sunday and next Sunday, I'll be there preaching. Crossroad Baptist, very wonderful church in Asheboro, North Carolina, which is not far from Raleigh not far from Greensboro, a great church that was started by a great man of God who passed away about a year ago, uh, Johnny Henderson. I know, Bert, in our part of the woods, Johnny Henderson was a great leader, kind of like a Tony Perkins kind of figure, Family Research Council, and I'm honored to be at Crossroad for this and the Sunday a week from now. Uh, Where are you going to be, Bert? I'll be at Auburn. Yeah, Auburn Baptist Church, where I'm interim pastor. Been there over a year. I'm preaching there Sunday. We'll have an 845 service, uh, or I should say 830 service, and a 1045 service with uh, Sunday school in between. So come out, if you're in northeast Mississippi, to Auburn Baptist Church. So, Alex, well, man, these phone lines filled up while we were uh, gone out of the, you know, for those three minutes. Let's get to yeah. them. But you were well, going to finish let, up about Paul, or Richard, I should say, about witnessing. Yeah, um, personal evangelism. You know, I'll I'll ask a series of questions like this. And very often, you know, you'll, you'll get in a conversation with a total stranger. So in evangelism with a total stranger, 
So um, somebody will, I'd see what I can do to turn the conversation towards spiritual things. And, you know, there's so much in the news, people dying. And, um, you know, I'll I'll often ask a question like this. I'll say, well, um, do you you have any spiritual beliefs? And somebody might say, say, well, you know, uh, we've always been in church. You can know by asking a diagnostic question, you can generally discern if somebody is a Christian or favorable to Christianity. Um, and, and, you know, I might say something like, wow, you know, I've, I've been a believer a, a long time, and, you know, I'm, I'm so glad to know if, if it had been me that died in that plane crash or that shooting or whatever, it, you know, it's good to know that we're safe with, with Jesus Christ. But if, if somebody clearly is not a believer, I'll say, you know, what are your spiritual beliefs? What, what do you think happens after death? And they might say, well, you know, I don't know. And I'll say, now here's, here's where things change. What is your authority for, for what you believe? And they'll say, well, what do you mean? Well, in other words, how do you really know it's true? Because my opinion, anybody's opinion, is really just an opinion. But isn't it good that in Jesus we have the authoritative word of somebody who rose from the dead? And, and by the way, could I show you, I'll take just a minute and a half or two minutes, and from, from God's Word, could I show you what the Bible says about how we can know for sure? So what we do, folks, there's this principle, communicate by permission. If you ask, could I show you what God's Word says about how we know that we're saved? And, and they might say, well, sure, okay. Or they might say, no, I really don't have time for this. But you're sowing a seed. And Bert, I've found that God's Word doesn't return void, like Isaiah 55 says. So ask people what they believe. Ask them, how do they know that what they believe is true? And then ask for permission to show what Jesus, remember the only man that ever rose from the dead. So try to make sure that we're not just sharing our opinion, but what Christ yeah. says about salvation, because he's the only one that ever rose from the dead. Okay, Richard, we hope that helps, and thank you for asking that, and God bless you, and may God increase your tribe. Let's go to John in Oklahoma. Welcome, John. Hello. Yes, go right ahead. Hi. Um, I was just it's been on my heart uh, for a long time since um, my wife divorced me uh, a couple of years ago. Um, I was street preaching, and um, not, I wouldn't really call it uh, evangelizing. I would just preach, and they would either hear it or walk away or yell at me. <laughs> But um, it, to me, I think a lot of the problem in this world right now is we don't have enough preachers. Um, and in the, in the Bible, Jesus says to go and preach. And that's not just a calling on some people, some Christians' lives. It's every single follower of Christ needs to go out and preach and not just sit in church every Sunday and and hear a sermon and go home back to their normal lives. 
John, it, it, we're going we're gonna to respond to that. Thank you. I agree. Man, we got it. The principle, what you're talking about, is getting the salt out of the salt shaker. Now, preaching, wow. that's the whole thing. Proclaiming, Alex, and then sharing. Uh, there are two different words. It's in the Greek language. It talks about the proclamation of God's word, the statement of God's word. But we really need to get the salt out of the salt shaker, don't we? You know, that's a great book I would love to recommend by Rebecca Manley Pippert, and it's a classic, P-I-P-P-E-R-T, Rebecca Manley Pippert, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, uh, a really good book. One other one that I would recommend, and he was my evangelism professor, uh, Bill Bright, Witnessing Without Fear. Do you remember that book, I do, Bert? yes. It's Amen. a classic. Bill Bright, by the way, they had a— on on the uh, network about the 700 Club and the home going of Pat Robertson, they yes. had an hour long presentation ready to present at his home going. And one mm-hmm. of those men that really worked together with Pat Robertson, guess who it was? Bill Bright. They Amen. said, "Man, we we've got to stand together to win the world of Christ." It was a great great promise too. Amen. Well, the number is triple eight five eight nine eighty eight forty. Uh, your calls and questions today on Exploring the Word. Paul in Texas, welcome. Paul, are you there? Okay, couldn't get Paul. I'm sorry we missed you. Let's go to back into Texas, and it's Billy. Welcome, Billy. Billy. Hello, how are you? Yeah, doing good. Good. Yes. Go right ahead with your question. Thank you for good, calling. Good to hear from y'all. I've been listening to y'all for 10 years. <laughs> wow. Well, thank okay. you. Um, I, you know, down, he- down here, we we love each other and, and you know, take care of each other like so. And and when we go to heaven, we're kind of, you know, we're going to praise God and, and everything's going to be towards him. And it just seems like you kind of feel like you're maybe robotic towards him. I don't know. Um, he is the almighty, but I was just kind of curious about that. Okay. Well, let me just share with you, uh, I, I, I forgot who was the first person that said it, but the person I heard say it, Bill Stafford, uh, the evangelist. Uh, I, Alex, did you ever get to know Bill or hear him preach, Bill Stafford? I heard him preach, and he was one of the best. He I, was. I didn't know him, but okay. he was great. Well, we had him in our church several times, and he said the problem, Billy, with a lot of believers is they've gotten saved and gotten over it. By that, they mean that they had gone through the, they're going through the routines, they're going through the rituals. Listen, he said, his mercies are new every morning, and we need to relish in them. That'll keep it from being robotic, I want to just tell you. Alex, go ahead. Well, yeah, we've got to keep our first love and, you know, not not get over it, it you know, and I, I really think one of the keys to keep uh, the wonderment and the joy, the gratitude, because Bert, I really do think gratitude is the greatest motivator. Amen. How do you how do you keep the fire? Stay in the Word. Amen. I I, I truly believe the fire and the um, the continued, you know, staying on point with the Lord every day is directly proportional to how much time you spend in the Word of God. Alex, this Sunday at Auburn Baptist Church, I'm going to be preaching from Romans 1, and one of the scriptures I'm going to be using is 121, because although they knew not, they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. 
but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts was darkened. I just want to tell you, being thankful is one of the most important attributes there is. And I've never met the spirit-filled believer that did not have a spirit of thankfulness, Alex. And Mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you. And uh, listen, being thankful will keep you from acting like a robot. You'll act like like a worshiper, worshiping him. Let's go to Tennessee and talk to Sandra. Sandra, welcome. Hello, and thank you for taking my call. How are you today? We're doing good. Good. Having a good day, Sandra. Hope you are as well. I certainly am. I just have a quick question. I just want to know, uh, was Jesus omniscient? When he was on earth, I know that there's scripture that says that no man knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man shall return, only the Father in heaven. Okay, great question. Alex, I'm going to give a scripture, and let's go a minute. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 is is one of the great, great scriptures, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But, now here it is, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, emptied himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Was there a purposeful, uh, he, when he was a baby, mm-hmm. he was still God. But right. he wasn't there thinking, well, I got to act like a baby and cry. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah. you know, no, he was a baby. And so this is the incarnation is something that really blows her mind, no matter who you are, you know? You know, th- this really is something, and, and we can't speak enough about the incarnation. Okay, First Timothy 2.5 says there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Colossians 2.9 said in him, in Jesus this is amazing, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. So the man, Christ Jesus, most unique life ever, fully God, fully man, yet not fallen man. But Bert, yeah, I was thinking of the Philippians 2, and I would encourage people to read Philippians 2, because Jesus, yes, he is omniscient, omnipotent, all-powerful, but yet... While here on earth, he seemed to voluntarily limit his divine attributes. Get that down. Write that down, everyone. Voluntarily limited himself. I believe that with all my heart, Alex. I think you're right on. Yeah, and so when he said, um, no man knows the day or the hour, and not even the Son of Man while on earth, uh, that knowledge of the end of time was... uh, limited only to the Father. This is probably not a great illustration, but with my nephews, Benjamin and Max Alexander, when we would play baseball in the backyard, as we did many times, um, at that point, now probably they could take me to school now on the baseball (laughs) field, but there was a day when, you know, I would hit the baseball for those boys, and I could have hit it a long way, but I didn't. I purposely just hit it so they could catch it or get it. Did you ever play roller bat? You remember that game? I didn't play that. We didn't, I'm not sure we had that in North Roller East, bat. Yeah. But I voluntarily hit the ball a shorter distance than I could have. And then they I would won- throw the ball to try to hit the bat after you lay yeah. it down. Okay, yeah. I called it something different. Yeah, I played that. I got you. So 
was Jesus still full deity, which would include omniscience? Yes. But in the ministry here on earth, he voluntarily didn't use all of his divine Amen. strength that he could have. Just like maybe in backyard baseball, we we uh, played so the kids could you know play with us. But um, Jesus, he is fully God, fully divine, full of his um, God powers. But in the context of the incarnation, didn't exercise those powers though he did possess them. Elwood from Arkansas, we're not going to take your call, but let me, if, if, if I misunderstood the call about the robotic being in heaven, I'm sorry, I may have misunderstood that, but it's not going to be robotic in heaven. Isaiah chapter 6, if you don't believe that, read that and then read in Revelation. It is not robotic. It is a response of seeing the glorified Lord. So thank you, Elwood, for reminding me of that. Let's go to Ohio and talk to Aaron. Aaron, welcome. Yeah, hey, guys. I have a, a friend, dear friend, who I love dearly, who is not in the faith. Uh, he comes from West Africa, has a Muslim background, but does not practice Islam. Uh, but his beliefs are rooted in that culture, his upbringing. And he's been over here for a while, so he's been influenced by American culture and other cultures as well, but we were having a conversation recently about morals, and I was telling him what governs my morals is the symbol of Christ and kind of what all goes into that, how you aspire to uh, to be the perfect man but will never attain that as, as Christ did, but that's what I strive for and what my belief is in salvation and if I make it to heaven versus his belief, you know, is I'm a good enough person, I'll make it to heaven. Uh, so we were having a back-and-forth dialogue about all these different things. And my, my question lies in this, though. When I got to the resurrection of Christ to, to show his, uh, his, that he's God in the flesh, his fire back with Christianity was how when the Europeans came, they kind of enforced Christianity and then also black magic, how there has been um, different things over... Aaron, let me let's Alex respond to that real quick. I hate to cut you off, Aaron. Alex, you got about thirty seconds. Well, anything like magic or occultism is counter to Christianity, but Jesus is still risen. Jesus is still deity, um, irrespective of the misbehavior of Christians. Uh, Christians ought to be authentic and godly, but even when they're not. Christ is still risen. He is still the Savior. Aaron, keep the relationship going. Our, my son, Nathan, worked with many of them, and that relationship, let them see you and our history. They may have a distorted view, but they see you and see you respond to Christ, and you Amen. share Christ. It makes a difference. Alex, we'll be back to, uh, Monday with more of the book of Acts. But until then, we want everybody to tell people about exploring the Word, but more importantly, about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.